Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 152 of the Adoption Connection Podcast. You guys are going to want to grab some tissues and maybe find a quiet place to really absorb this week's story. You know, here at the Adoption Connection, we are really passionate about giving voice to all sides of the triad. And we are bringing you another birth mom story this week. And it is just stunning. I previewed it before we uh, started to record and chat about it and I needed tissues and I was enthralled. It was so captured by uh, Zoe's authenticity, the way that she shared what her experience was. And then just the actual facts, like just some of it is almost like movie Hollywood, unbelievable. Well, I don't get to have conversations like this with very many birth moms. And so I just, as we talked, I think we were just sort of locked into each other, just hearing her story and sharing some of mine with her. It was, I think she and I could have spent a whole day together just talking and connecting about this because it's a sadly very unique experience, you know? So, but Zoe is fantastic. She, she's actually Dr. Zoe Shaw. She's a licensed psychotherapist, motivational speaker, podcast host, life coach. She is really passionate about helping women who struggle in difficult relationships. And she's also a frequent blogger. And she has a podcast too, which will give you all that information at the end of the episode. But I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from Dr. Zoe Shaw. Hello, Zoe. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really glad you're here. Would you start by just telling us, telling our listeners a little bit about who you are? Sure. So I'm a licensed psychotherapist with a doctor in clinical psychology. I'm a mama of five, a wife. I'm a little bit of an athlete and I love working with women. I'm also an author, speaker, podcaster, um, but I love speaking and working with women on finding strength in difficult relationships. That's kind of my passion and my jam. There's something really unique about you that uh, we wanted to have you on the podcast. I'm also a birth mother. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, um, adoptive parents, we have a lot of our listeners who are adoptive and foster parents, and we always um, are thankful to hear stories. And of course, here at the Adoption Connection, we are very um, interested in representing all the voices of the triad. You know, Melissa and I together make up the entire triad. We're both adoptive moms. She's an adoptee and I'm a birth mom. So we really want to represent every voice here. And I'm just delighted that you will share your story with us. Well, I'm delighted to come on. Thank you for having me. Well, can we go back to when you were a teenager? Do you want to just sort of set the stage for what was happening in your life and how you became a birth mother? Yeah. So I was, I'll go all the way back. I was born in Nashville, Tennessee to two young parents. My dad was a um, a medical school student and my mom was a university student at that time. And they moved to Maryland. Um, well, actually Washington, DC, which is where I spent the beginning part of my life. 
I should also mention I'm African American and growing up in Washington, DC, you know, I was very, um, just kind of, of sheltered, I think, in terms of just culture. And that wasn't a really big part of my life, the, the color of my skin. But then we moved to rural Maryland, uh, Mennonite uh, area, actually. And it was just a very huge culture shock. Um, and I had a lot of negative experiences growing up just regarding the color of my skin. And it shaped my identity. And certainly going into adolescence, there was a lot of um, self-esteem issues. And I got involved very quickly with um, with a guy who became my boyfriend throughout all of high school. Um, and I got pregnant at 16. And my parents were very uh, conservative Christians. And my dad um, and mom had very high standards for me and my life. And I was generally the very good girl <laughs> um, who performed very well academically and, ac- and athletically. And so it was, you know, it, it was a huge shock to my parents and a lot of you know, there's a lot of guilt and shame involved uh, for me. I did attempt to have an abortion. Uh, my my boyfriend snuck me to an abortion clinic and I literally just changed my mind at the very last minute when I was on the table and ran out of there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. I mean, you don't need to, but that's pretty, that's a pretty intense part of your story. What led you to consider it? Do you, do you want to go there? We don't have to. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I I did grow up in an evangelical Christian home where I learned that abortion was wrong, but then I'm in that situation. And the very last thing I want to do is tell my parents and my whole life is going to be ruined. And my boyfriend wanted me to get an abortion. And so we went and, you know, the whole time internally, there was that, that whole, that pulling of, you know, there's this baby in me who was, I was already starting to connect to, Mm -hmm. but yet I wanted to not have to deal with all the repercussions. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'd had friends who had had abortions and made it seem like it was so easy. And, you know, going through the experience of being in an abortion clinic gives me so much um, empathy for other women who have been through the experience. There's so, I mean, I have zero judgment for anybody who chooses that path. Um, We all have to do what we feel is best in the moment, right? But for me, I remember sitting, because before, when we were in the abortion clinic, before we go in, they have this like little group where you talk and they tell you what you're going to do. And the lady gives everybody a pill. And I remember when she gave me this pill, my first question that I asked her is, is this going to hurt the baby? And she gave me that crazy look like, do you know where you are and what you're getting ready to do? Yeah, wow. But that was my, that was, I was kind of, I felt like I was already a mom at that time. And so I got on the table and the doctor came in and I don't know why I waited until the very last second, but I literally just said, I can't do this. And it was, the words came out of my mouth before I even knew they were happening. And the doctor was so irritable and so rude to me. And he was just like, I, you know, I wish you good luck because if you come back here, I'm not going to treat you. Mm-hmm. I wasted his time and I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. I literally ran out of the abortion clinic holding my socks and my my shoes in my hands. Wow. And my boyfriend looked at me with wide eyes like, what's going on? Is it over? 
Um, and so then we had to go, you know, eat and figure out, okay, I guess I'm not going to do this. And Mm -hmm. so now what? I think what that points to is that I want people to hear is that fear Mm. can drive us a lot of places where we wouldn't imagine we'd go, you know, like you're this young girl, you know, that, that when this comes out, when your parents learn you're pregnant, when you're, if you're teachers or community, whatever, that this is going to be like a tragedy to you, Mm -hmm. especially back then. This is what you're thinking, you know, like it can't happen. I don't. And it led you all the way to the abortion table, you know, before you were like something, the core you knew that that wasn't what you wanted, you know, deep in your spirit. But, But I think that's a powerful story because you're right. I think any one of us who's been pregnant as a young teen I have so much compassion for other women. Oh, yes. You know, even if they choose abortion, I mean, this is a really hard, frightening thing, you know, and we just can't judge each other in these situations. We, we, we cannot judge each other because, I mean, it's, it's the whole thing until you've been in, in those shoes. You just never know. You just mm-hmm. never know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just believe that, you know, my daughter, Sarah, was just meant to be here. And mm-hmm. so that's why I was plopped down in that family and had that experience and mm-hmm. got to that point because for some reason she's meant to be here. Yeah. It's just God's grace, you know? It is. That's, Absolutely. I always think it's just God's grace that I didn't choose that. I'm thankful, you know? Right. Yeah. But, so how did your boyfriend take it? <laughs> He was so wonderful, really. He was shocked, you know, because he thought we were we were going to be done with this after Mm -hmm. that. Um, But he was just like, okay, so I I guess we're going to do this. He was he was really wonderful and supportive. Um, But I I still was not able to tell my parents. I was never able to get those words past my lips. I was so just scared and and devastated and i i felt guilt you know i felt bad for my parents <laughs> that they had to deal with me um and so i never did i really took a chicken way out i had hid my pregnancy for many months and i was an athlete i was running track and doing playing volleyball and i remember one time i dove to reach a ball and i hit the floor and i felt you know my baby it it felt like a ball was literally in my stomach. And then I was like, Oh wow, this is real. Um, did you tell any friends? I did tell one friend. Yes. And she took me, she was the the friend who took me to the crisis pregnancy center where I found out I was pregnant to begin with, because back then I don't think there were, yeah, I don't think you could just go to the drugstore and get a pregnancy test or I'm sure I would have done that. Especially if you lived in a small town. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to walk in. Now, did your boyfriend also go to your high school? I mean, did he keep it a secret? Um, No, he went to college in in a town about an hour away. So he did keep it a secret. Um, He did eventually tell his mom when I went to the pregnancy home. So I, I really waited until my mom figured it out herself. Wow. By that time, I think I was about five months and she figured it out from little things that, you know, and and I allowed her to take me to a pregnancy clinic, another one, and have the lady tell her that I was pregnant because I literally could not say the words. So that's how um, my, my mom found out. And then they made the decision to send me to an unwed mother's home because they felt that I would be a bad influence. And of course, on top of that, they needed for their own reasons to keep it secret. 
And so they did. So they announced that I was going to a boarding home or boarding school. That's what they told the outside family. Inside my family, I later found out they told my my siblings that I had a psychiatric breakdown and I needed to go to a psychiatric hospital. I didn't okay, find wow. that out until I was older. Wow. Um, okay. And let's just, let's just pause a minute and think about this. Your parents were motivated by their own fear, absolutely. right? There's just so much yeah. fear and they're trying to protect you, trying to protect mm-hmm. your siblings, trying to protect themselves and their reputation. You know, like all of us, if we could go back and do things differently, they may do things, may feel that they would have done things differently. I'm sure my, actually, I know my parents would have done things differently had they not been motivated by fear and if they could do it all again, you know, but I, one of the things that's interesting about your story is this was 1991. Right. And, you know, maternity homes were few and far between for sure. And Mm -hmm. the whole model of sort of disappearing and coming back, that's, you know, in 1991, that I don't think that was very common. I think it was unusual. Right. It it was. And there were a number of girls in my high school who got pregnant and didn't leave and disappear. And we found out about it. And some of them, you know, went on to have babies. And that's, that's a reality. I think you know, then and even now sometimes. Um, but my parents, you know, my mom came from an era, I think, where she saw that happen. She grew up in Catholic school. She was, you know, her father was a professor and prominent uh, person in the community at that time. And she saw that happen to some people in her high school that got pregnant and went away. And so I think that was just a model that she had, that that's what you do. And, and I think also probably multi-generationally, there's some passing down of, of secret keeping and, you know, how important your image and, and really just having respect in the community, I suppose. So that was a big thing for my parents. And I think that created a perfect storm for them to make that choice. Yeah. Can you tell us about your experience at the maternity home? You know, it was very, it was another culture shock. And I think maybe the good thing is that I had moved from, you know, had that experience when I was nine of moving from, you know, Washington, D.C. to rural Maryland. I had that culture shock experience. So in some ways, maybe I was prepped for that. You know, the maternity home was filled with a lot of of young girls who came from very difficult situations, broken homes, foster care, um, not really what I had experienced growing up, being with with um, girls who were in that situation, it was just very different for me. And I felt very much like a, a, a fish out of water, you know, um, just in terms of the things that they talked about. And even the hierarchy, you know, in the home, it was like, you know, well, girls who had been raped got really, you know, privileged. And it was just kind of this hierarchy of who you are, what's your story, how you got here. Okay. And let me ask, was that hierarchy reflected with the staff as well as the girls, or was it mostly with the girls themselves? No, I think it was reflected mainly with the staff. Okay. Right. Um, And then with the girls, I know there was a little bit of separation between those who place and those who are going to keep. Um, It was just a a very difficult um, experience also because there was always kind of this ticking time bomb. So you would make friends. And then when someone had a baby, they were whisked off and they disappeared and you could never talk to them again. 
They never came back. They never came back. And so you would never know if in the morning you'd wake up and your friend would be gone, especially when she got, you know, closer to term. And we never really heard like what happens on the other side. And so there was a lot of fear uh, about that. And I don't know why the staff kept it all so secret and why they didn't want any communication with women afterwards. You know, the reality is, is that the Liberty Godparent which home, which is where I went, was also an adoption agency. And so they did have a, you know, an incentive for wanting girls to place. And I think that the whole mission was really to, um, I hate to use the word feed, but feed the adoption agency. And then also they felt that it was a mission and that I'm sure they, they felt that children were better off in two parent homes. And so there was that underlying, you know, message Mm -hmm. as well, which I think probably is why they didn't want girls to communicate afterwards. Yeah. Um, but me, yes, it was an interesting experience. So let me ask, uh, what happened when a girl decided to keep her baby and not place? Was there, well, first of all, was there a lot of pressure to place? Was there, obviously, um, they did have motivation to, I mean, and this was my experience as well. Um, but tell me what it was like if a girl decided she was going to keep her baby. Did she leave the home? No, she was allowed to stay. And I would say there was never outward pressure. It was more subtle pressure. And we all also had weekly therapy that helped us make our decisions. Um, So there's that as well. So all I can say is subtle pressure, but definitely not outward pressure. And if you chose to keep your baby, then that was okay. And you could stay for the duration of your pregnancy. Okay. And did those girls also just disappear? When they had their babies, they just yes, everybody disappeared. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is so, have you, I'm sure you've probably read the girls who went away. Have you read that book? I have not. Oh, no. well, yeah, you might. It's a, it's really about the era of, um, I've, I've seen that book. So that book, it, it, it details stories of women who were in who those types. of homes. Yeah. It's really heavy. I avoided reading it for many years because I was a little afraid of how, uh, deeply, painful emotionally it would be to read. And it was, but I'm still glad I read it. It was also sort of validating. So like, mm. oh yes, my experience was it's it's happened to many women, sadly, very sadly, you know. So okay, so tell us about uh you went into labor. I did, yeah. So I went into labor in the afternoon in my therapist's office. And my poor therapist somehow got stuck with taking me to the hospital and she ended up having to stay with me there. Um, but my mom did come along at the tail end of my um, birth and she was able to be there and, and witness it. Um, you know, it was a little traumatic, I think, for a 16 year old girl not having any idea what she's getting ready to go through and, you know, not um, having, you know, pain medication and just being expected to kind of, you know, go through it. So, um, but the birth was relatively, I think, as births go, um, simple and, and, and straightforward. Yeah. And then my daughter was there. So are you saying that there was no or minimal childbirth education preparation? Were you prepared for labor? Um, we did have, I think there was some type of class that we took at some point. But prepared, no. Okay. <laughs> and you said you didn't have any pain medication. Was that your decision, your choice that you did not want to? Um, so I was never offered an epidural. Um, at later towards the end stages of my um pregnant of my labor, I was offered something. 
I don't know what it was. Um, but my mother actually refused it. Okay. So that was an interesting kind of shaming experience at the end of. Yeah. yeah wow. Wow. Yeah. And so your daughter was born and was she put in your arms? Was it, did you feel um, happy? I mean, how, do you remember? I do. Um, yeah, she was put in my arms and I was able to hold her and she was brought to my room. Um, I did get a call. So I had her late in the evening. I did get a call the next day from the uh, woman who ran the adoption agency. And her first thing is you need to probably leave as soon as possible because it's better to not, you know, um, have too much contact with your daughter. And so they were pushing me to leave the hospital very quickly. I remember this young, super nice doctor who came in my room that morning before I left. And somehow he had missed on the paperwork that I was a birth mother. And he came in and he was so sweet. And he told me how beautiful my daughter was and what a great mom I was going to be. And I just remember thinking, I hope that he never reads in that file that I was a birth mother because somewhere he's going to hold that, you know, that thought will be held mm -hmm. in the world. Um, but he, that was just a really nice experience that I had with that doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody else was fine, but you know, they're just, I mean, I, I don't know, there's no training for how you, you know, go through a pregnancy and leave your child at the hospital and then just go on with life. Yeah. Yes. There, there's nobody who tells you how to do that. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's what I did. They told me I should go and my mom wanted to go. I know she didn't want me to stay and change my mind. And so I just left and walked away. Wow. And my mom took me to a, a hotel. Well, here's the interesting thing. My mom showed up at the hospital with a brand new car for my 16th birthday. I call it my push present. Wow. And that you know, that sports car was supposed to kind of make me forget, I guess, that I had just had a baby and left her in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so we drove that little sports car to a hotel and we stayed there for a few days, which I later realized was because I still looked pregnant and we couldn't just go home. Mm -hmm. um, and my mom bought me, what are those things called? Corset? Oh, like a, like a girdle kind of thing? A girdle. Yes. Wow. My mother bought me girdles okay. to um, wear when I came back home. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was an interesting excursion. And we went to an amusement park a day after me having a child wow. and wow. started this whole process of pretending like it never happened. It was almost like the sports car and all those things were supposed to sort of unmom you, like, yeah. like revert, like she wanted you to revert back to being a young, successful teenage teenager. Wow. It almost takes my breath away. <laughs> yeah. You know, that first night in the hotel, I woke up to sounds of myself crying. Like my whole body was just heaving and crying. And it was almost a dissociative experience because I didn't know what the, it was. It took me a minute before I figured out that was me. And I know my body was grieving, you know, my mind, I think was just overwhelmed, but my body was definitely grieving at the same time that I had to figure out how to just, like you said, unmom myself and just be a teenage girl. Did your milk come in? It did. Mine yes. Too. And oh, that was, did they give you pills? They gave me a shot. Stop? 
oh, they gave me these pills that gave me horrible headaches and I eventually stopped taking them. But then my milk started, it was a whole process of milk coming in again because I stopped taking the pills and it's very painful. Mm -hmm. And was that painful for you emotionally as well as physically? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Were you informed at all of like your rights or how long you had to sign the papers? What the, if there was a waiting period, were you informed of all of that? I was, yes. There's an adoption counselor and she informed me of all of that. And interestingly enough, the parents that I chose for her backed out a few months later. After and so, after she was with them? Well, the other thing that I found out is that my daughter didn't go straight to them. She went to a foster home. We're interrupting this interview to ask you to do us a favor. Really, it's not for us, but for adoptive and foster parents just like you. If you find our podcast helpful, pause this episode and revisit your podcast app where you can rate and review the show. Honestly, this isn't about making us feel good. This is about other parents finding confidence, hope, and friends who understand. Thanks so much for helping us get the word out. We really appreciate you. Now back to the conversation. Well, the other thing that I found out is that my daughter didn't go straight to them. She went to a foster home, something that nobody told me. Okay, Zoe, this happened to me too. Really? Wow. And nobody told me either. Right. No one told okay, me. Okay, wow. I could almost cry in this conversation. <laughs> it must be a practice. And, and obviously, I wouldn't have placed her if I had known that she was leaving a hospital to go to a foster exactly. home. Exactly. And they promised. But I found that out later. Yes. Yes. And so a few months later, I found out that they had changed their mind. And so then the question is, do you want to choose another couple? Which of course, how do we choose these couples? We look through books of pictures of people Mm -hmm. and the couple of paragraphs they write about themselves. Mm -hmm. And we choose parents for our children that way. Like we wouldn't even choose a babysitter that way. Exactly. I wrote that in my book. My mother would have never chosen a babysitter by looking through a book of pictures of, yeah. of girls. And yet that's how I chose parents for my child. Yes. Um, and so I asked my mom if I could bring her back when I found out yeah. that she was in a foster home and that she, you know, the adoptive parents had changed their mind. But my mom, you know, said no. And so I picked another family wow. and eventually signed the adoption papers. Okay. Yeah. And your adoption, it was a completely closed adoption. Is that correct? You didn't yes. speak to them. Have you? Did you receive letters from them or anything? I did. Okay. Um, every couple of years, they would send a letter through the adoption agency, mm-hmm. which was filled of, with blacked out, you oh, know, stuff. Like her name and yeah, um, and any you know information about their location. And the agency would then give it to me and I could send the agency a letter that they would then send through them after they'd filtered it and made sure they blacked out anything they didn't want the adoptive parents to know. Um, so I got every couple of years a letter like that. And pictures mm-hmm. or no pictures? Um, I only got pictures until the first year. And then after that, they said they would not be sending pictures anymore. And was that the parents' decision or the agency policy? Do you know? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm sure, you know, part of me feels like I'm sure the parents could have if they wanted to. Maybe it was an agency policy. Maybe they were just required to send pictures for the first year. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they weren't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I want to talk about what happened 
years down the road, but can you speak at all to what that grief experience was like for you? Hmm. You know, I've described it as I felt like the whole world stopped. Like, yeah, it felt like the whole world was a merry-go-round and I had hopped off and I was just looking at it from the outside and everybody else was going on. It felt very, um, I felt like I had grown 10 years coming back to high school and all of the trivial high school stuff just didn't seem to matter anymore to me. And I felt like that all the way through college, actually. Um, like I was just on this different trajectory and I got married very early at 19. And I know a big part of that was just trying to put that away, you know, put that life away and start anew and kind of uh, exonerate myself from that experience. But also, and I was already a pretty driven um, person. I think that increased my drive to be successful and perform because I'm sure psychologically, I felt that somehow that would validate, you know, my having given up my daughter, if I go on to do all these, you know, great things. And so I continued to excel in school. And also, I felt like that was the reason why my parents, you know, wanted me to give up my child because they didn't want me to ruin my life. So Mm -hmm. the very last thing I wanted to do is go ahead and ruin my life anyway, (laughs) after after that. So I did continue to excel. And, you know, I traveled, you know, internationally and competed as an athlete um, in track and field. And I got a scholarship and went to UCLA and and did all the things that I was supposed to do. Got my master's and my doctorate in clinical psychology. Along the way, I I studied and learned a lot about family systems. Um, I learned a lot about my marriage during that time and a lot of dysfunction that was going on. Um, I think probably a lot of it was probably seeking to understand my experience. So, you know, that was my post experience after, you know, placing her for adoption. Mm-hmm. In those early, early-ish mm-hmm. years. It's interesting because I also married very young after losing, losing my son. And um, I think I was very much still in a, an acute grieving phase, really. And I, my husband really walked through this grief with me. How did that shape your marriage, that your loss? Um, you know, my husband did not walk through my grief with me at all. It was really a topic that he didn't want to talk about. I think I married somebody that in many ways mirrored some of the the messages that I had gotten from my parents about the shame of it. Mm-hmm. And I think my husband wanted to pretend like it didn't happen either. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that experience. I think I was very isolated um, in my grieving. Do you remember the first time you met another birth mom and you were able to talk about it? Mm, yes, I do. Um, I met another birth mom online and I don't remember through what, and this was way back in the late nineties, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very refreshing, validating experience. And we ended up meeting in person, um, later she ended up flying to, to LA and we met up and just, and she was in an open adoption. So there were many things that she didn't understand about my experience, but just meeting a mother, another birth mom was kind of like coming home. Mm -hmm. How many years after your daughter was born, did you have your first child with your husband? Um, let's see, 11 years. So I was 16 when my my daughter was born and 27 when Mm -hmm. my son was born. Mm-hmm. And what was that experience like for you being pregnant again? Everybody thinking it's your first baby, right? Yes. Except, except presumably your medical provider knew. 
Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you, how did that feel for you? I remember being in the hospital after I had him and feeling like I want to get out of here because I, I feel, I just felt like something was going to happen and they were going to keep him. And that was just this, this, this feeling that was overwhelming. And I remember telling my husband, let's just go, let's just go. And he's like, why? You know, mm-hmm. um, it was a nice cushy, you know, um, hospital room. Um, and I remember he got a little bit of a rash and I freaked out because I was thinking, this is it. This is going to be the thing that's going to make them keep him. Right. Mm-hmm. And I showed it to the nurse and she was like, Oh, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. So I don't, yeah, that's the main thing I remember after having him was that overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of I'm not going to get to bring him home. Mm-hmm. And then when he came home, there was a rush of emotion and, and, you know, fear and worry that I wasn't going to be able to be the mom that, he needed me to be. Interestingly, my master's thesis, I wrote about birth mothers and their ability to connect and parent subsequent children in a healthy way. And I think that that was a fear of mine that my loss, my early loss somehow damaged my mothering part. So interesting. You know, Zoe, I had that experience of, um, being so terrified at the hospital, I actually, for a number of reasons, but I'm sure this was part of it. I had my babies at home. I could not. And I ended up with my fourth child, my third with my husband. We, because of some um, medical risks that I had, I did have him in the hospital, but like that was a very scary place for me. And Mm -hmm. the last place I wanted to be with my child because deep in myself, that was a place of loss and a place of fear, you know? So really, really interesting. Um, okay. I could talk to you forever and ever, but I want to <laughs> hear about your daughter coming back into your life. Yes. So when she was 18, she found me on Facebook. She actually found her birth father first and then had you know a conversation with him and he connected her to me. My kids were young. Um, I think they were two, four, and six, maybe, mm-hmm. or something like that. They were they were young. It was a shock. I I you know I had always imagined and expected that we would find each other. I just didn't think it would happen so soon. And so it was definitely a shock to my system. But we were able to connect over the phone, and we had a meetup. And my children didn't know about her. My extended family didn't know about her. So that was a whole nother experience. When I didn't share with them right away, we just met. um, And we've had a bit of a, you know, a a choppy relationship, nothing negative. I think both of us have struggled a little bit trying to find our place in, in each other's lives. It's been one of those, I know I struggled a lot with, I'm not her parent. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm her mom. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And what does she want? And I don't want to overstep my boundaries and I don't want to go where I'm not wanted, but I want her to want to have a relationship with me. And I think both of us have struggled over the years trying to just find that spot. Sure. Mm-hmm. And have you met her parents and her family? Absolutely. Yes. I've met her family. I've met her parents. They're wonderful. Um, they're wonderful people and very gracious. And it's been, it's been a wonderful experience. Yeah. And with reuniting with her, 
did the secret go away or are there still people? Well, obviously you must be, you wrote a book, so you must be fairly public, but how did that go with your family, your siblings, your parents? Yes. Um, the secret did not go away with reunification. It took me a number of years before I told my children and it was, it really took my father's death. So at his funeral is the uh, time when I told everyone Timing was definitely, uh, you know, a little bit crazy there. But um, my dad died suddenly and I flew back to Maryland and my daughter was going to be at the funeral. And (laughs) so it was one of those things where I have no choice because the very last thing I was going to do is ask her to be a secret or to hold my secret. And so after, you know, the funeral at the um the dinner at my daughter at my at my sister's house, I announced it to my family. I introduced her there, and that was a very awkward experience. Um, the two days prior, I told my children. Okay. Um, and my mom was so checked out. You know, I even felt like I needed to get her permission at that time, and she was completely checked out. And so I felt like that decision was one that I made on my own. And the mm-hmm. first adult decision I made on my own to tell my own story. So it was a very powerful experience for me. Um, Very difficult that I was breaking all of the rules. My mom would have been happy to have pretended like my daughter was a family friend. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's pretty dramatic Mm -hmm. to have the story come out then. And, but I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, what, what would you have done? It's not your daughter's secret. She shouldn't have to be a secret. And absolutely. Wow. That's really remarkable. How do you feel being a birth mother has shaped your, I don't know, your life, your future, your career, things like that, your faith even maybe, I don't know. It, It totally changed the trajectory internally of my life. I don't know necessarily how externally it changed the trajectory except that I probably wouldn't have gotten married as early. I struggled a lot with, with, you know, that fear of not being able, like I said, that mothering part of me being broken. Mm-hmm. And so in my early parenting of my kids, I struggled a lot of the, uh, blaming myself and, and really being hard on myself about connecting with my kids. And, and I think my psych background did not help because I had this, you know, this cloud of knowledge about how trauma, you know, affects, you know, mother child connections and, and so many things that I worried about that I, I, I don't think served my older children well, honestly, in my early parenting. I know that it, it has provided for me in my career a, an ability to ha- have empathy, I think, for, for people in situations that I may not otherwise not have. Mm-hmm. It's also really driven my, my passion for helping women speak their truth, stand up for themselves, um, not accept less than what they deserve, check their self-esteem and um, show up for themselves in their lives. I know that my early history of not doing that um, is what drives me to help women do that. Tell us about your book. So my current, my, the memoir I'm writing is not out yet. Oh, so I'm in, I'm writing it. Um, well, I finished writing it really. It's just now in going to agents, um, and finding a place. Mm -hmm. So my book outlines my entire, you know, history with, um, 
being a birth mother, my pregnancy, all the experiences that I just explained to you, um, and and being able to also stand up in my marriage and, and the dysfunction that we were able to come out of when I was finally able to speak my truth. Hmm. Um, so that's what my memoir is about, is about, and I'm excited for it to come out. I do have a book out that's currently um, called A Year of Self-Care, and that's really just a book that helps women um, find small ways to care for themselves every single day of mm-hmm. the year. Does your memoir have a working title? I know from experience that sometimes it's not the title it will have when it's published. It does but- not. I have three or four titles that are kind of out there, but I don't. it doesn't have a working title yet. Well, I am so happy you wrote it and I cannot wait to read it and we'll have to reconnect because there aren't, um, there just aren't a lot of books really telling our story, especially more current ones. You know, like I mentioned the girls who went away, but that's written about women from even before my time, like 50s, 60s, and it wasn't written by the moms themselves. So um, I think your book's going to be really valuable to our community and not just to birth moms who, who, uh, find such deep connection, but for adoptive parents and foster parents, it, it gives a window into our experience and, right. and adoptees as well. Yes. Yeah. And adoptees too. Yeah. So I am really, really happy you've written it and I can't wait to hear about it when it comes out. I'm super, super excited. And I've got agents that are excited about it as well. So this whole process um, is going to be fun watching it get launched into the world. So tell me, where can people find you? So my place, my hangout is Instagram. So you can find me at Dr. Zoe Shaw, D-R-Z-O-E-S-H-A-W. That's where I hang out. You can connect with me through my website as well, Dr. Zoe Shaw. You can check out my podcast and I'm rebranding it right now. It's called the Dr. Zoe Show, but maybe when this episode comes out, it will be called Stronger in the Difficult Places. And it is a podcast specifically for women who find themselves in difficult relationships, including that sometimes difficult one with themselves. And I really talk about finding strength in those spaces um, through a lens of psychology, faith, and uh, a little bit of my own kind of feminism. It sounds great. I'm looking forward to getting to know you more. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. It was an honor. Thank you so much. Well, Lisa, like I said, just such an incredible interview. And, you know, sometimes I think I underestimate how much being and adopting myself and then developing this close friendship with you as a first mom over the years has really impacted my perspective on life. And, you know, a lot of, you know, we have a daughter who got pregnant kind of unexpectedly ended up as a single mom. And she lives here in our home with our granddaughter. And, you know, we didn't think too much about it when she let us know she was pregnant. She didn't ask to move home right away, but we kind of let her know right away that that was always a possibility. And, you know, we had a couple of friends who were like, really, you know, do you really want to start over again? Do you really want that kind of drama in your house? And it really never occurred to me to do it any other way. And maybe that was because we had also kind of done this with my sister. She technically had lived with my parents, but my parents live in an apartment in our house. And so, you know, there was a lot of family involvement with her raising her son here until he was four or five. 
And um, I just, I don't know, it just breaks my heart that she felt like she almost had to choose like between kind of loyalty to her family, her family support and her daughter. And I don't know, I just, I'm so thankful for her story and for the stories of other birth moms and, you know, just for my husband's openness and our family's openness to loving in kind of situations we just, we wouldn't want to find ourselves in, but our family has, I've watched them just embrace uh, and love kind of radically. And, and I grew up in a home and a culture and an environment that was kind of similar to Zoe's. So, I mean, this could have been a completely different situation for both my sister and for Kayla. And so I'm just thankful anyway, for our involvement in Ava's life, who's our granddaughter. Yeah. I think the more we know of people's stories and the more people we know in the triad, it does really change the way we look at these things and the way we look at family and the way we look at adoption, of course. I mean, I just really appreciated so much of what she shared with us. And, you know, this is not her normal thing that she talks about. So it's kind of a special honor, I think, that we got to hear the story because this is not a normal part of her platform so much. So anyhow, if you want to know more about Dr. Zoe and what she offers, her website is just drzoeshaw.com. She's also Dr. Zoe Shaw on Instagram and other social media. You can find all this information in today's show notes at theadoptionconnection.com slash 152. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Instagram as The Adoption Connection, or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.